hit on things over and over. How many of you know we don't get it the first time? And um, so you may have heard me minister in this theme before, but we're going to talk about uh, authority today. I want to talk about the identity of authority. What does authority look like? Uh, because I believe that in the earth today, the church is doing too much. It is being told what to do and not telling enough stuff to do stuff. What I mean is, is we are being dictated by stuff around us instead of dictating our own lives. But if you read the scriptures and if you study the word, uh, there's a lot of authority that us as believers and as church, as the church in particular, that we should be commanding a lot of things to happen. Uh, we shouldn't have our lives dictated by circumstances and situations and by things that happen in the world. And I believe the true church, the church that's going to rise up in the end days, in the, in the last days, the end times, is going to be one that is commanding things to happen, not just going with the flow. And um, so we've got to understand what this authority looks like and how it operates. So go to Genesis chapter 1. You know we like to start at the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, this is covering the creation and uh, everything's been created. And we get to the day 6, day 6, and God creates his most treasured creation, brings into his existence his favorite. See, God doesn't have favorites. You're his favorite. Everybody in this room, you are his favorite. Every person that he's put on this planet is his favorite over all creation. We are the most favored. And look here what Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. What's he saying? What I'm creating them for they're going to have to look and operate like me. In my image, in my likeness. What's he saying? I need them to talk like me. I need them to think like me. I need them to respond like me. He's saying the way that I am built, the way that I'm designed, my characteristics, I need them to have. I'm creating them to do a specific purpose and a specific work in the earth and they're gonna have to operate like i do in heaven this is what he's saying look we read over you're gonna see verses today that we've read over and and we've seen them but i hope that we shed some light on them today that we fully understand what's being said let us make man in our image according to our likeness why let them have dominion let them have, this is the first instance that man is even thought of in the entire Bible. And we're being appropriated to, we're being associated with authority. What does dominion mean? It means to dominate. It means to dominate. The word dominion means to control or to manage. To control or to manage. What's he saying? I am placing man on the earth to control and manage what? Over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, every creeping thing on the earth. And eventually we see in verse 28, over the earth itself. To dominate, to have control, to manage the affairs that's taking place on the earth. So I've created the earth. 
as an extension of heaven. And now I want man who is created like me, looks like me, talks like me, acts like me, thinks like me, operates like me, to control and manage the earth just like I do in heaven. Essentially what he's saying is, I want man to make earth look like heaven. I want man to make the earth look like heaven. And none of us would debate that. We love reading about the Garden of Eden. We wish we could go back to the Garden of Eden. Uh, Some people have termed it paradise. I, I think that we would actually be surprised if we actually read through Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and find out what was actually taking place in the garden, we'd be surprised at what was going on there because there was work to be done. Look at verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, then God blessed them. How many of you know you need to be blessed by God to do the work he's called you to do? Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. That means it should do what you tell it to do, not the other way around. Subdue it. Fill the earth and subdue it. Control it. Manage it. Have dominion. There's that word again, over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Yeah, but Pastor Mark, we know that Something happened, something took place, and, and, you know, that's not the picture anymore. Just because something happens in the earth doesn't mean God has changed his mind. This is what we call the original intent. The original intent. The original intention that God had for the earth and the original intention that God had for man when he created him. And God has never changed his mind. God has never changed his mind. So we see that God creates the earth. Look at Psalms chapter 24, verse 1. We're going to look at a lot of verses today. You know, I, I, I love it when people bring their Bibles. If you don't get there fast enough, you can see them on the screen. The Psalm of David, the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. Do you know you belong to God? Do you know the earth belongs to God? Sure doesn't look like it belongs to God. You're right. But it still belongs to him. God is the owner of the earth by creation because he created it. He created it so it belongs to him. It's his possession. And so are those that he created to rule over it and control it. So God is the owner of But look at what Psalms 115 verse 16 says. Psalms chapter 115 verse 16. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's. But look what it says here. But the earth he has given to the children of men. The earth he has given to the children of men. So who's the owner? God. God is the owner. We saw that in Psalm 24, verse 1. But now he's given the earth to man to have dominion over, to control, to manage. As long as we keep those two positions in their right order, you will do right. 
you will do what God originally intended you to do. God is the owner. We are the managers. We call the shots. I work for a large corporation, and there's an owner of the corporation. I've never met him. I've never seen him. I've, uh, he's never even been in Valdosta that I know of. But yeah, he's the owner of the store. And he doesn't have to come to the store to make sure that what he wants done is carried out in that store. You know why? Because he has a manager in place. He has a manager that communicates and talks with and through chain of command is hearing from the owner what the store should look like and how the store should operate. And so if the owner were to come and say, hey, this store, you're not following protocol. We don't have this over here. We're not selling that. And, uh, you know, what's going on here? Oh, well, you haven't been here. You're the owner. You haven't even been here to do anything. Yeah, but I've placed you as a manager in charge of it. See, the, the real question is who's in charge? <laughs> who's in charge? Uh, many of you have heard the statement, and I love shooting it down because it's, it's a very predominant statement in this area, but God is in control. We've all heard it. God is in control. And so that allows us to take a back seat in life and just whatever comes may come, whatever is will be, and it's up to God and he's in control, he's calling the shots. But we're actually finding out through a series of verses here, we're going to build a case today is what we're going to do. When, 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 a, when a lawyer or an attorney or you know someone enters court and they want to build a case, they have to bring evidence. I'm bringing evidence to you today to show you who's really in charge, who's really calling the shots. And the first thing we have to see is that God is an owner, but he has placed someone else in charge to manage and control this territory. And that's us. That's us. Mankind was placed on the earth originally to rule and control the earth as God rules and controls heaven. Now, I want to show you some factors to controlling and to ruling because uh, I know what you're thinking. It's out of control. <laughs> my life is out of control. My kids are out of control. My, my house is out of control. My career is out of control. My finances are out of control. Everything seems like it's out of control. And we're waiting for God to take the reins on the thing. But you're going to find out he's waiting on us to take the reins on the thing. He's placed us in charge. He's placed us in control. Amen? So we've seen that. So the number one thing you have to have to be in authority is territory. If you don't have territory, you don't have authority. You can't be a king. You can't be a president. You can't rule over anything if you don't have anything to rule over. So without territory, you have no authority. Well, what am I supposed to rule over, Pastor Mark? Are you a husband? Rule over your marriage. Are you a mother? Rule over your home and your family. Do you have a job? Do you own a business? Do you 
have influence, you rule over that. Do you have finances? You rule over that. You control that. Anything you're given an area of influence to, that is your area to rule and to control. That's your territory. You are a king. You're a king, which means you call the shots. We should not be people where life dictates us. We dictate life. Your finances don't dictate you. Your finances shouldn't tell you what to do. Your job shouldn't tell you what to do. Your boss shouldn't tell you what to do. Sometimes we get a little carried away and and we let our earthly natural bosses tell us what to do more than what God tells us what to do. Sometimes we let money tell us what to do more than what God tells us what to do. When it should be us telling the money what to do. It should be us telling our job what to do. It should be us telling our family what to do. It should be us telling our marriage what to do. Now here's something. You'll notice in those verses 26, 27, 28 of Genesis chapter 1. That man was given control over the earth and everything on the earth. But there was one thing that was not mentioned. And that was each other. Man was never designed to control man. To govern and manage man. Never was. I'm not saying, you know, you go to your boss tomorrow and say, I'm telling you what to do because you can't tell me what to do. There is, when you're in a work role, a work-related role, there is submission there. When you're in a marriage, there's levels of submission there. But we're not to go around dictating people and tell them what to do. We're to dictate situations and tell them what to do. See, you're not trying to get your, your husband or your wife in alignment. You're trying to get your marriage in alignment. Because when the marriage is in alignment, then the husband will do, their, will do his role and the wife will do her role and will have marriage in the proper alignment. I'm not trying to, to get someone to quit spending money. I'm trying to get them to dictate their finances, the, the money side of it, and learn how to control it and operate it properly in God's kingdom. But we are in control and we are in control over a territory for without territory you have no authority so you've got to first identify what's my territory what do i have control over what have i been given to manage control and to dominate what have i been given to subdue and what has been trying to control me when i should be controlling it this is what we have to identify in authority look at um Turn over to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. While you're turning there, in John or in Genesis chapter 3, we see what is known as the fall of man. Adam and Eve are in the garden. What is the garden? Their territory. See, everybody's got a garden. Everybody's got a garden. It's your territory. And where Adam and Eve messed up, 
is they allowed the garden to talk to them rather than them talking to the garden. They were given full dominion. We know a snake shows up. It was the devil, but he showed up in a form of a snake. And I like that. I like that because it identifies that it was an area of control. See, some of us, you might doubt whether you have control over the devil and Satan and demons and that type of thing and just go ahead and let you know that you do. But just in case you were doubting, they definitely had authority over a snake. A snake had no business talking to them. A snake had no business dictating them. But where they messed up was you will not remain in authority if you don't remain under authority. You won't remain in authority if we don't remain submitted to God's authority. Look at what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 2. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse 4. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes out before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. They know his voice. The greatest way to operate in authority is to stay close to God's word. Because the quickest way to get pulled from authority is to not listen to the authority over you. You do not remain in authority if you don't remain submitted to authority. I gave you an example of a large corporation. If the manager who's managing a property that the owner doesn't have to show up at, the owner doesn't have to come to, the, the owner doesn't have to uh, uh, visit on a regular basis and make sure things are going on because he has a manager there. But if the manager decides to do what he wants to do and no longer what the owner tells him to do, he will quickly be removed from authority. His inability to submit to authority will remove him from a position of authority. We saw this with King Saul. King Saul was the first king picked by the people. And he did all right to start out with. He obeyed God because even though he was king of the people, Israel, he still had a king over him, God. God was still his king. God was still his authority. God was still supreme authority over him because God's the owner. King Saul is a manager. And he can only rule and dominate and, and subdue as he remains submitted to God, his king. But we know that eventually King Saul started getting off and started doing what he wanted to do. And in 1 Samuel chapter 15, I believe it is, he goes to battle. God gives him specific, specific rules. You go in there and you obliterate the nation. You leave nothing behind. You take no slaves. You take nothing. But King Saul listened to the people, what he should have been subduing. Listen to what 
he wanted to do. And Samuel shows up and says, just, just as you have torn this cloak, because as Samuel was leaving, Saul was pleading, don't go. Pray to God. Ask him to let me, to, 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 to help me with this. And he said, just as you have torn my robe, the kingdom's been torn from you. The kingdom has been pulled from you. You have failed. In submitting to God, your king. So you are being removed from authority. Because we don't have authority without remaining submitted to God's authority. Jesus was saying that I'm the shepherd, you're the sheep, and you know my voice and you hear my voice. Somewhere along the line, Eve got off. And instead of going back to God's word, she was being led away by something that she should have been subduing the whole time. A snake. And as I read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, she was given dominion over that snake. She was given authority. She was the one who was supposed to be controlling and managing. But yet she let the very thing she should have been in control of tell her what to do. The very thing that she should have been dominating was dominating her. And see, this is where a lot of believers are at. The very thing that we've been given control over, it's actually telling us what to do. And we have to change that. We have to get back to God's original intent. There's nothing in this world that should tell us what to do. We have got to get back in authority. We've got to get back in a position where we're getting close to the king communicating with the king. How does a manager of a store know what the owner wants done? Communication. He gets an email. He's on conference calls. He's getting letters saying this is what we want to do. Holidays are coming up. We've got to begin to prep this. We've got to start changing this. We've got to change this signage. We're going to start selling this product. We've got to start getting ready. How does he know how to do those things? Communication. The less you communicate with your king, with your father, the more you'll be communicating with things that you should be dominating the more you'll find yourself obeying that instead of obeying God himself. But the more we stay in communication, the closer we stay to God's word, the tighter we get with our king and stay in communication and continue speaking and talking and fellowshipping with him, the closer we'll get, the more we'll obey his word. The closer you get to his word, the more you will obey his word. So man falls, Adam and Eve, they fail in the garden. And ever since that time, see, we are a people that when something breaks, we abandon it. When something breaks, we rarely try to fix it. We're in a culture today 
that as soon as the marriage isn't working any longer, we want to separate. As soon as uh, I don't want to be a dad anymore, I want to walk away, and I just want to walk away from the family. I I don't want to be a dad. I don't want to be a husband. I don't want to be a wife. I don't want to be a teacher. I don't want to be a a, a co-worker. I don't want to be an employee. I don't want to be an employer, so we just abandon it. When the systems fail us, instead of trying to fix the system, we abandon the system. But I want to tell you today that God does not abandon what breaks. God fixes what breaks. And ever since man fell, ever since man made that choice to walk away, to come out from under God's authority and to do their own thing, In that instant, God puts a plan in play to restore man to his original intent. See, here's what we think. Oh, this is where God decided, you know what? This whole thing on the earth isn't working. Man didn't obey me. The system's broken now. I can't rule on the earth because I need man to rule on the earth. I got to rule through man. So let's just get everyone to heaven. And that's the, that is the dominant belief system. Today, churches and believers and Christians are consumed with the thought of getting to heaven. They are consumed with that. It eats them up. If I could just get to heaven, everything would be better. In heaven, there's no more tears. In heaven, there's uh, streets of gold. In heaven, my life will be better. I got to go through hell on earth so I can make it to heaven. That is the dominant teaching and belief system of most Christians on the face of this planet. It is very rare that you will hear someone say what I'm about to say. It is very rare to hear people preach in line with what I'm preaching today. And I'm all right with that. Because I am preaching today what Jesus spent three and a half years talking about. Jesus didn't talk about heaven. Jesus didn't talk about heaven. He didn't talk about getting to heaven. He didn't talk about dying on a cross so one day you could go to heaven. It's not what he talked about. See, most of us don't even know what he talked about because we've just read or heard what other people say he talked about. But if we would open up Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we would find out what Jesus, what was at the forefront of his ministry, what consumed him. Heaven did not consume Jesus. Getting to heaven did not consume Jesus. You know why? Because Adam and Eve weren't looking for heaven. Show me one instance where Adam and Eve were saying, can't wait till God takes us back home to heaven. You can't find it. Their only interest, their only interest was ruling on the earth as God was trying to rule through them and taking care of God's stuff. That was it. God did not establish a religion. God did not establish Christianity. 
God didn't say, let us make Christians in our image. That's not what Genesis 1.26 says. Genesis 1.26 says, let us make man in our image. So we got to go back to the beginning, to the original intent. What was God trying to do in Genesis? Because he's never changed his mind. All through history, all through the Old Testament, God was trying to do one thing. One thing. Restore what he created in Genesis chapter 1. The whole time. Y'all may remember when Moses brought the Israelites out of Egypt. Numerous times, God had an opportunity to destroy the people for their lack of faith and their lack of belief and, and, and for their grumbling and their complaining. And what would he tell Moses? Get out of the way. I'll get rid of all of them and do what? Start over with you. God is in the business of starting over. God is in the business of fixing something. God is not in the business of walking away from something he created. Why did he, why did he wipe the whole earth with a flood but then save eight people? To do what? Start over. That's all he's tried to do. Since Genesis chapter 3, he has tried to start over. Through the Old Testament, he was looking for people that would simply believe him at his word. He was looking for one type of person in the Old Testament. One person. God was always looking for a righteous person. What does righteousness mean? Righteousness means to be in right alignment with the authority. What authority? The authority that God established in Genesis chapter 1. See, God didn't establish a religion. He didn't establish just a belief system. He didn't uh, establish uh, uh, people that would just believe a certain way. He established something far greater than that. And it's all that Jesus talked about. God established a kingdom on the earth. Because God is a king. God is a king. The Bible says God is a king. He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. God is a king. But where does God rule? If he doesn't rule on the earth, then where does he rule? In heaven. God rules in heaven. But he extended his kingdom from heaven to earth. And then he placed man on the earth and said, now you rule it, you control it, you have dominion in that territory, just like I have dominion in this territory. You can't go to heaven and tell God what to do. But there is the burning within every person. The burning within every person, every owner or every manager. There's a desire to own it. That comes from Satan himself. Because Satan wanted to do that. Satan got lifted up in pride. He was in heaven as an angel of light. He was up there with God. But he got in pride and he said, I'm tired of being a manager. I'm tired of being told what to do. I want to be the owner. I mean, people do this today. 
People do this today. I want to be the owner. I don't want to submit to somebody else. I want to call the shots. I want to be in control. And so this desire, this burning passion showed up in Genesis chapter 3 where the manager, Eve, got a desire to own it. She got a desire to be the one in charge. When we were already in charge, we were already in control. We already were calling the shots as long as we remain submitted to God. And so our dominion on the earth was given away, not taken away. Satan didn't take anything away. He was given. He was handed over authority over the earth because of Adam and Eve's irresponsibility, because of Adam and Eve's inability to remain submitted to God's word. And so ever since then, God has been trying to restore the very thing he created in Genesis chapter 1, and that was his kingdom. His kingdom. So now we get to Jesus. Now we get to Jesus. And Jesus didn't show up and start talking about being born again. He didn't show up and started saying, now if you accept me into your heart and and, and you believe that I died on the cross and rose again, then, then you'll go to heaven. That's not what he talked about. Well, sure, he, he talked about being born again. Yeah. One time, one time did Jesus ever talk about you must be born again. And he talked to one man in the middle of the night. One man in the middle. Now you tell me, if you've come to earth and you've got a message, you've got something that you've been sent here to talk about, sent here to do, sent here to help people with, uh, wouldn't you want to be on the mountainside proclaiming that to everybody? Sure. Now, when did Jesus ever have opportunities to preach to a lot of people? All the time. Houses would fill. He'd fill houses where people had to cut open roofs to just drop somebody in so they could be healed. He would fill houses. He would fill the mountains. People would follow him for days. There was one time they followed him, and they were listening to him talk for so long that Jesus said, They're going to get pretty hungry here pretty soon. We're going to have to feed them. We're going to have to get them some food. At that point, he had 5,000 men, not including women and children. I mean, thousands of people. But he wasn't talking about being born again. He wasn't talking about, I'm going to the cross to die so that you could be saved and we we can all go to heaven and live happily ever after. That's not what he talked about. Jesus was consumed with something that I believe every believer should be consumed with. But sadly, not very many are. Sadly, most of us are consumed with getting to heaven. Sadly, most of us are consumed with just making it through down here. And not doing anything down here just one day. It's just all about let me say a prayer. I know God's going to help me when he wants to help me because he's in control. He's in charge. And so if he, wants to, if he wants to heal me, if he wants to change my finances, if he wants to help my marriage, then it's up to him. 
But one day, I'm going to get to go to heaven. One day, I'm going to be excited about getting to walk on streets of gold. There's no more tears. There's no more pain. There's no more hurting. There's no more crying. That's what most people are consumed with. But Jesus was consumed with something way different. Look at Matthew chapter 6. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. His disciples saw Jesus doing something that he did a lot. Jesus did this a lot. Not just a little bit. Not just once a week. Not just when he felt like it. Not just when he had nothing else going on. He did this a lot. It's something called prayer. Jesus prayed a lot. Not a little bit. A lot. Hours. Early before anybody else was awake. Early before his day got started. He was in prayer. What's prayer? Communication with the Father. And so he's in prayer a lot. And so his disciples ask him, hey, what is this thing? What is, what is this prayer thing you're doing all the time? And teach us how to do it. His disciples saw this as this is something that we have got to know how to do. You're talking to God all the time. Teach us to talk to God. Now, they knew about prayer. In fact, they had prayers. They had Pharisees and Sadducees. They had religious leaders that prayed and would pray before the reading of the Scripture. They knew what prayer was. This wasn't a new concept. But Jesus did it all the time. He didn't just do it in the synagogue. He didn't just do it right before or at the end of reading Scripture. He was doing this in early in the morning. He was getting away by himself. He wasn't out on the corner of the streets praying so everybody could hear him. He's doing it all by himself. And so his disciples say, teach us to pray like you're praying. And look what he says. He says, pray in this manner. Our Father in heaven. Where's God? Where's God? In heaven. How would be your name? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, there are some churches that they pray this verse every week. There are some people that pray this verse every day. But, you know, you run a risk of doing things. Go back to verse 10. Sometimes we run a risk of doing things simply out of routine, simply because that's what I've always done. This is how I've always done it. And we have no purpose behind it. We don't even know why we do it. But this has way more meaning. He said, your kingdom Come. Jesus was the only person besides Adam that walked this earth with a heaven to earth mentality, not an earth to heaven mentality. 
we all have a mindset of one day I'm going to leave this earth and I'm going to go to heaven. But Jesus was consumed with something far greater than that. He said, I am here to find out how I can get heaven back in the earth. That's why I'm here. That's what consumes my ministry. That's all I talk about. That's all I think about. That's all I want to do. I want to discover. I want to restore the kingdom of heaven back in this territory. What Adam and Eve gave away, I'm coming and I'm bringing it back. And so everywhere he went, Every time he ministered, he said, the kingdom of God is like this, and the kingdom of God is like this. The first time he even shows up on the scene, ministering for the first time in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, he says, repent for what? The kingdom has come. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is at here. It's all he talked about was the kingdom. He didn't talk about, I'm going to die on a cross. He never talked about that. He never preached about that. He told his disciples, now one day, I'm going, but I will return. I will rise again. I will live. And I'm going to go to my father. And you want me to go to my father. Because if I don't go with my father, then the Holy Spirit can't come upon you. But if I can go to the father, then the Holy Spirit will come. And everything you've seen me do, you will be able to do and even greater work. So there's one thing that consumed Jesus' ministry. One thing that consumed his life. Wasn't being born again. Wasn't going to heaven. It wasn't dying and getting saved. It was restoring the kingdom of God. That's what he came to do. Now here's the thing. God is a king. And kings are bound by their word. When a king says something... It has to be that way. It can't be any other way. Y'all may remember the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Now, Daniel was a friend of the king. Daniel was the friend of the king. But Daniel did something that the other men didn't like. He prayed a lot. He prayed a lot to his God. And the other men didn't like that. And so they went to the king and they tricked him and said, hey, nobody should be praying and, and nobody should be, uh, you know, exalting or lifting up anybody but you. You're the king. And the king loved to hear that, sure. The king said, all right, what are we going to do? We should make a law. If they pray to anybody else but you, O king, we'll throw them in the, in the, the lion's den. The king said, all right. It's law. Boom. I said it. That's how it's going to be. Anybody that prays to anybody else is so they knew. We've got him because he's not going to stop. And sure enough, he did it. What did Daniel do? Open up the windows of his room and pray. Everybody could see it. Well, the king didn't realize that he got tricked. He got conned that they were going after one man. So they came to the king and said, hey, we've got someone. Remember this law you put into play? The king couldn't say, oh, no, that's not fair. That's my friend. And, and, and he's praying to God, and he's allowed to pray to Couldn't do it. Because the king's word is law, and a king is only as good as his word. 
If he turns back on that word, he can turn back on any word. So God is a king. So when God says something, it becomes law. It has to be that way. Well, in Genesis chapter 1, who did he give dominion to? Man. Man. What's a man? Let's define man. Let's define what a man is. A man is a spirit being that possesses a soul and lives in a body. That is a man. You're not a man if you're just a body and you don't have a spirit. You're not a man if you're a spirit and you don't possess a body. You are a man if you are a spirit that possesses a soul and lives in a body. Well, the Bible says that God is spirit. That's what Jesus said, John chapter 4. And we must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit. He's not a man. He doesn't have a body. You can't see him. Which means that he cannot rule in this territory. He literally cannot do anything in the earth without using a man. Do you realize that God needs you? God needs us. God changed my finances, and he's saying, you're in charge. I want to change your finances, but I can't do anything in that realm. That's your territory. That's where you have dominion. That's where you have control. That's where you're supposed to manage. You know, my manager doesn't call the owner and say, hey, I got someone down here who's being insubordinate. He doesn't show up on time. He doesn't dress out in the proper dress code. He's, he, you know, he's not even working on the job. Can you come down here and take care of it? What's the owner going to say? You do it. You're the manager. You're in charge. That's your territory. That's your dominion. And if you're not going to do it, get out of the way because I'll find somebody else that will do it. See, this isn't a foreign concept. All of us probably do this on a regular basis every single day, and we don't even know it. Miss Myrna here, she's the teacher at Lowndes High School, which means you have a classroom, and those children are subdued under you. You're in control. So you know what Miss Myrna doesn't have to do? She doesn't have to call the principal and say, I need you to come down here. Somebody misbehaving in my class, they won't stop talking. What's the principal going to say? You do it. That's your territory. That's why you're here. You're in charge. You have the dominion. You have the authority because my authority is backing you up. It's as if the principal just walked in the room and said, sit down and be quiet. When we speak with kingdom authority, it's as if God just showed up on the scene and took care of the situation. But he needs us to speak. That's why you're here. So Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth in this territory, just like it is in your territory. See, now you can go through the rest of your life and you can say, is that how it is in heaven? Then that's not how it's going to be here. 
Is there lack in heaven? Then there's no lack here. Is there sickness in heaven? Then there's no sickness here. Anything you have control over, you have control over your marriage. Is there peace in heaven? Then there's peace in this marriage. Go through the rest of your life. Identify any situation that doesn't look like heaven and bring heaven to earth. That's why you're there. So guess what? That means sometimes we might get into situations that look like hell on earth. My job, everyone talks about each other. The boss is crazy, making crazy demands. Nobody wants to listen to anybody. It's just, it's just a mess. Guess what? You're there to bring heaven. You're there to change the atmosphere. And stop asking God to change it because he's the owner. He's in his realm. You're in the realm to change it. You're where you can call the shots. This is good. I tell you, if we could grab a hold of this, this is not a, a, this is not a smoothie sermon. This isn't something you just stick a straw in and suck it up. This is You're chewing this thing. You're having to get the, the steak knife out. We're cutting this thing to pieces. We're in charge. The, the identity of authority. So now look at Matthew chapter 16. Well, sure, Jesus could operate in authority because he's the son of God. Tell me one thing. Somebody tell me one thing that dominated Jesus. He can't do it. Everywhere he went, he was telling things to happen. There's not one demon. There's not one sickness. There's not one storm. There's not one tree. Nothing dictated Jesus' life. He got up to read the scriptures like everybody else. That's nothing new. We got scribes and, and elders that do that. And just the way that he read the scriptures, everybody said, who is this man? He speaks with such authority. You know, you sound different when you, when you have authority. You sound different when you have authority. Everywhere he went, operated with authority. So none of us would doubt. None of us would argue that Jesus had authority. Jesus came to this earth to restore the kingdom, but he also demonstrated what it looked like. He showed us what it looks like when man is in authority. He got out on the edge of a boat in the middle of a storm and said, peace, be still. He didn't pray about it. He didn't have to fast about it. He spoke directly to the problem and said, peace, be still. He didn't say, God, please stop the storm. There's too much of that going on in the church today. There's too much asking the owner to come down to the earth and do something about something that he's already given you dominion over. Quit asking God to change it and start talking to it. There's not one demon-possessed person that Jesus was, uh, that, that came to Jesus. And he said, all right, God, you got to do something about this because this demon, is, he's about to eat me alive, man. I mean, he's going crazy. He's, no, what do you say? Shut up and come out of him. 
telling lame people to stand up, telling deaf ears to open, telling blind eyes to open. I mean, he's not even talking to God. You know why? Because he spent all morning talking to God. He spent all night talking to God. He spent hours on the mountainside communicating with his father, with his king, and he was getting with the owner. So he knew when I get in the situation, I've got the authority backing me up, and as soon as I speak, it's as if he shows up. He was our example. He's not just our example on how to be nice to poor people. Not our example on how to treat children. Not just our example on how to love people and be nice and sweet to people and help elderly people and be forgiving and be merciful and be gracious. No, he was showing us what the kingdom looks like. This is what you've been missing for the last several thousand years. This is what Adam and Eve gave up, but I'm about to restore it. I'm about to bring it back in the earth, and I need you to operate in it just as I'm operating in it. Nothing told Jesus what to do. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now watch this. And I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Notice that heaven responds to what we do in the earth. Some of you are waiting for heaven to start doing something. And heaven is saying, I'm waiting for you to do something. And then we will respond and do something. This instant, Jesus handed over his authority. Look at Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, this is after he had died. This is after he rose again. This is where he's getting ready to ascend into heaven. And it says, and Jesus came to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. 
I have all authority in heaven and on the earth. Well, great. Where's Jesus at today? Where is Jesus at today? It's not true. It's easy. He's seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. He's in heaven. Well, great. How's Jesus going to do anything here on the earth? This is where the restoration of the kingdom comes. Jesus did not die on a cross so that you could be born again and one day go to heaven. Remember Genesis chapter 1. The original intent was for man to rule and have dominion on the earth. But man is not in a position to rule and have dominion on the earth. Why? They didn't remain submitted to the king. And if you don't remain submitted under authority, you won't operate in authority. So Jesus had to find a way. God had to find a way to get man in the right position. So he's been spending history looking for the one righteous person, the one that will remain submitted to his authority so that God can rule through that man. Did Jesus ever sin? Did Jesus ever sin? No. He's the only man that's ever walked on the face of the planet that never sinned, which means he remained under authority, Therefore, he had the right to be in authority. Why did demons listen to him? Because he listened to his father. Why did storms listen to him? Because he listened to his father. Why did dead people rise when he spoke to them? When he said, Lazarus, come forth. Why did he come out? Because he was listening to his father. And when his father spoke to him, he moved. So when he spoke to things, they moved. Because he remained submitted under authority. I don't do anything on my own initiative. I don't do anything on my own will. I don't do anything outside of what my father tells me to do. I don't go where I want to go. I don't say what I want to say. I don't do what I want to do. That was the message of his ministry. So he's an authority. But he's going to heaven. Jesus is going to heaven. So who's in the earth today? Who did he give all that authority to in Matthew chapter 16? The church. The church is in authority. The church has the keys to the kingdom of heaven. The church the authority that was originally given to all mankind now is relegated to those who become righteous. How do you become righteous? You believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, that he rose again, and you will be saved. You confess him as Lord.
those that have confessed him as Lord are now viewed as righteous. When you become born again, you did more. You got more than access to heaven. You got access to heaven so you could bring it in the earth. And now when you talk to things, they listen to you. Now when you start talking to your finances, they have to change. Because now God sees you as righteous. What does that mean? That means that you're in right standing with his authority. He now sees you as submitted to his authority, so now you can operate in authority. Before we were unrighteous. Before we had no position to stand in any kind of authority because we weren't submitted under God's authority. But when we make Jesus the Lord of our life, he now views us as righteous. He now views us as one with Jesus. And now we can operate in dominion and authority. So Jesus says all authority has been given to him. Matthew chapter 28. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. This is life changing. This is life changing. I pray that your minds and your hearts, your, your, your ears are open to hear this. Jesus was constantly saying, if you have ears to hear, let him hear. If you have eyes to see, that means you can have ears and not hear. That means you can have eyes and not see. But I pray this morning that you have ears to hear and you have eyes to see what I'm saying. I'm not talking about trying to get to heaven. I'm not trying to sit back and wait around until Jesus comes or until I die and go to that place. I'm talking about bringing that place here because that's what Jesus talked about. He said, let your kingdom come let your will be done. Well, what gives me the right? Watch. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. Which he, God, worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So where is Jesus? Seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. That's where Jesus is. Verse 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. That's where Jesus is. So Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is seated in a position of authority and power, far above all principality and might and dominion, every name that is named. But now watch this. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the who? To the church. Jesus is the head of the church. Verse 23, which is his body. I don't know how you're containing all the excitement right now. 
I just read the verse that will set your life free if you grab a hold of it. Please have ears to hear this this morning. Please have eyes to see this. Jesus is seated where? At the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. And he is the head of who? The church. The church is his body. What's the big deal, Pastor Mark? Okay, you don't see it yet. That's all right. Let's get, let's, let's get real. Let's, make, let's paint a picture. Nobody here, just about everybody in this room has greeted me this morning. Nobody here said, hello, Pastor Mark, and hello, Pastor Mark's body. Nobody here made a separation between my head and my body. Nobody did that. But you know what? We do it all the time with the church. Jesus has the authority. I could go out and get 10 out of 10 Christians to agree with me that Jesus has authority. But ask the same 10, do you have authority? And I can promise you the number would be different. Why? If I am the body of Christ, if I am Jesus' body, why does he have different authority than I have? Do you not qualify as the church? Do you not qualify as the one that he said, you have the keys to the kingdom of heaven? You are the body of Christ. Jesus is the head and you are the body. And let me take it one step further. The head needs the body. My head contains my brain. But all that my brain does is call the shots. My brain can't take a drink of water. My brain can't get up and go to the bathroom. My brain can't move around and perform daily functions that are necessary. The brain, the head, calls the shots, but the body carries out what the brain and the head tells it to do. If it's under Jesus' feet, it's under your feet. It's time to stop going through life and talk about how much power God has and how much authority God has and how awesome God has and then separate the church from the body. We are literally decapitating the church. We are literally taking the head off of the body. But guess what? A body without a head is dead. More people today 
would associate the church as being dead rather than alive. It's because you're not connected to the one who gets you alive. You're not connected to the one that calls the shots. You're putting the head over here and you're putting the body over here. The head is up above all the rules and principalities and powers and mights and dominion, but the body is underneath all of it. The body has to submit to sickness and the body has to submit to lack and the body has to submit to anxiety and worry and fear. But I'm telling you today that the church is seated in heavenly places with the Father. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. Please help me make this clear. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. It's because God loves us. It's because he loves us. It's because he loves you that he wants you to rule. It's because he loves you that he wants you to dominate. It's because he loves you. That he needs you because of his mercy, because of the love. Verse 5, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Together. Together. By grace you have been saved. Verse 6, and raised us up together and made us sit Together, and I mean, you should underline, square, circle, highlight the word together every time. Together. You can't make it any clearer than that. Where Jesus is, you are. What he has dominion over, you have dominion over. What you have power over, uh, what he has power over, you have power over. Together. We rule together. We're seated together. We've been raised together. We're alive together with Christ. It's hard to hear that because we've for so long associated with trying to get somewhere rather than getting something somewhere. For so long we've been told the only way you'll experience heaven is if you die and go there. But I'm telling you this morning that we can experience heaven because we can bring it here. Most Christians, if somebody gave them the opportunity to go to heaven, they would do it. But Paul one time made a statement. Paul said, how badly do I want to go? How badly do I want to go to heaven? I know what awaits me. I know how awesome that place is. He saw it. He was taken to the third heaven. Whether he was in the body or out of the body, he didn't know. He got to go. I got to see it. Most Christians, if you got taken to heaven, 
you wouldn't want to come back. But you know what Paul said? He said, it's better for me to remain for your sake. The only one that needs to go to heaven is Jesus. Because if he doesn't go to heaven, then we don't have authority. Because he's no longer seated, and we're seated with him. But because Jesus is in heaven, we get to rule with dominion on the earth. I don't want to go to heaven. Not until my time is up. Not until it's time to go. I don't want to leave this earth. All the messes, all the junk, Valdosta, Georgia, the United States, the world, my job, my neighborhood, my family, I don't want to leave any of it because I am here to change it. I am here to bring heaven to earth. And that's why I don't go where he doesn't tell me to go. And I don't say what he doesn't tell me to say. And I don't do what he doesn't tell me to do because I want to be where God wants me to be because he has me there for a purpose, for a reason. I may not know the whole purpose. I may not know the whole reason, but I know that I'm in the right place at the right time and I've been given power and authority and dominion and nothing tells me what to do. A paycheck doesn't tell me what to do. The Bible tells me what to do. Time doesn't tell me what to do. I tell, what I, I tell time what I'm going to do with it. My job doesn't tell me where to be and what time to be there. My God tells me what time to be there. People don't dictate my life. God dictates my life. I'm here to change stuff. I'm here to rule over sickness, not for sickness to rule over me. I'm here to rule over money. I'm not here for money to tell me what to do. I'm here to rule over the earth, not the earth tell me what to do. There are many people that are bound by the earth. The earth tells them what to do. Because they drink the earth. And they smoke the earth. And they dip the earth. And the urges tell them when to put it in their mouth and when to puff on it and when to drink it. They don't tell the earth what to do. Well, how in the world are you going to tell the earth what to do when it's telling you what to do? Who's in charge? We're in charge. We have authority. Until the church gets a picture of that, I'm going to tell you right now, it's only the church, only the church that has an identity of authority that's going to stand and last in the end days. Because in the end days, the world is going to try to tell the church what to do. The world is going to try to tell the church what to talk about. The world's going to try to tell the church when they can open their doors. The world's going to try to tell the church what they can say and how they can say it. But it's going to be the church that knows I'm in authority, I'm in charge, and you don't dictate my life. I tell you what to do. Take some boldness, take some power, take some authority. 
but that's the church that's going to stand. Today we're seeing churches with doors opening multiple hours of the day, 10, 15, 20,000 plus, but I don't know that the church is going to be that large. I don't know that. Because there are those that are doing it out of routine. There are those that are doing it and they don't even know what they're doing. There are those that are only doing it because someone told them to do it. Because I've always done it. Because, I, because my grandparents said to. And my parents said to. And there are people that are being told what to do uh, through sickness and disease. There are people that are being told what to do with their money. And they don't want to let go of those things. The church is going to stand. The church that is going to be in the end is going to be the one that's going to operate in authority, operate in power, operate in dominion, and view themselves the way they see Jesus. If you're not in Christ, you're not in authority. You're not in Christ, you're not in authority. What does that mean? That means he's the Lord of your life. Oh, I prayed the prayer. No, I'm talking about something way more than praying a prayer. Confessing Jesus as Lord doesn't mean I confess a prayer, get a one-way ticket to heaven, and now I get to do what I want to do. Confessing Jesus as Lord means now he tells me what to do. He calls the shots in my life. He's Lord. He's in control. And nothing takes me away from that. If he's Lord... Giving 10% to the church is nothing. If he's Lord and finding a different job because it doesn't line up with what he's called you to do is nothing. If he's Lord, then putting down that drink and putting down that habit and putting down that addiction is nothing because he's Lord and he calls the shots. That's what a Lord means. Most Christians have only made Jesus their savior. Savior is what he did. Lord is who he is. That's the church that's going to stand. You've heard it before. The world's just going to get darker and darker. Right? We've heard it. Chase, if you'd come up. The world's going to get darker and darker. And Christians get brighter and brighter, right? The darker it gets, the brighter the light shines. I want a church that's going to shine so bright, it's going to blind the dark. There's only one reason the light enters darkness, and that's to change it. Light never shows up so it can become like the darkness. Light never shows up so it can become what's around it. Light shows up to change what's around it. God is calling his church to operate in authority, and he needs us to operate in authority. And for those of us that have been waiting for God to do something, He's been waiting on you. I've been waiting for God to change my marriage. 
He's been waiting on you. Start talking to it. Start getting close with God so you can know how to get that thing to align. If there's any area of your life that's out of alignment, get back in alignment because nothing's going to listen to you if you don't listen to the king. Well, I've been talking to my finances. Get in alignment. Watch what God will do. Been waiting for God to do something about my sickness and my pain and this disease. He's been waiting for you. 